Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got an interesting gentleman with me, Justin Lee. Now, Justin is a salesman. Now, okay, heads of finance, accountants, and so on. That's a horrible word, sales. But let's see where this goes. Justin, hello. Hello, Kevin. Thank you for having me join you today. I'm uh, really excited about our discussion. So, Justin, I've introduced you as a salesman, but I know that's not really all that you do. Tell us a little bit about what what you do do. Sure. So my background, Kevin, is from large business. So I've worked in some pretty big corporations in my time, 3M being the last large organisation I worked for. And my roles have always been either in sales, sales leadership or business leadership. So that's my, I guess, my heritage and my background. And more recently, the last three years, I set up my own training, coaching and consulting company so that I can work with other organizations to, I guess, help them unlock the growth potential that they have in their businesses that they can't always see clearly for themselves. Mm. So that must have put you in contact over the years with quite a few senior finance folk. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And particularly when I was in the leadership positions, uh, actually, the, the, my finance uh, leader within the business or within the organization was a critical go-to person to be able to help me model out the ideas and the strategies I had that were going to drive profitable growth um, mm. and get the justification and support from you know this most senior levels of the organization to back those programs so that we could make the impact that we knew was possible. Now, profitable growth, that's a that's an interesting one. I guess that's the the subject that we're covering today. Yes. Um, I know we were chatting just before we started recording, Justin. Mm. Profitable growth. Obviously, you need to grow and obviously you need to make a profit. But you, you said some interesting things about why it's so important just before we started recording. I think it'd be great if we replayed those to the audience. Yes, absolutely, Kevin. So as I explained, in my past experience, having worked in either sales or business leadership positions, when I started reviews and you know strategy sessions with my either CFO or senior finance leader, as we were looking at modeling the impact on the PL and, and meeting our targets, one of the things that became really clear to me very early in my leadership career was that if we could be clear and certain of the opportunities for profitable growth, to, to drive profitable growth in the organization and we could put in place programs and plans to meet those commitments to drive growth, it removed all of the other obstacles and issues within the PL. And that one priority, if we could meet that priority almost above and beyond everything else, then it fixed all of the problems that we faced, whether it was to do with cost constraints or, or challenges in the marketplace or challenges within the organization or navigating, you know, uh, phasing of budgets, if we could drive a higher level of profitable growth than was in the plan, that just unlocked all sorts of opportunity. And it became my go-to um, starting point whenever I was moving into a new business or starting a new financial period. We would look at the plans that had been agreed by the organisation and say, right, actually, where are the opportunities for us, for us to over-deliver in terms of profitable revenue growth. And as we started to get really clear on those and focus on the plans to deliver them, all of the other problems in the PL just literally melt away. 
Yeah, and I get that, that no longer does it become a problem that, oh, you've spent 5% more than budget on that Absolutely. particular line. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. We've got 10% more on sales and, oh, look, we've got 15% more margin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter we overspent that line because the profit's bigger anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you said something before we started, Kevin, that, that the, the remit and the role of the CFO is so broad and there are so many different uh, priorities for that role to deal with that sometimes profitable growth and, and the, the specific focus on programs that will drive the top line uh, can be overlooked. And, yeah. and that's one of the challenges. Yeah. So you, you're, you're approaching this from a very much a sales side, Justin. Yes. CFO is approaching this from a finance side. Mm. What sort of support would you be expecting to get from your CFO? So for me, I, I would look to have, and this is how it worked for me in, in my business roles, I'd look to have the ideas and the programs. And say it was, so I've got a couple of really good examples, actually. When I was in one of the businesses um, I worked at, it was a business where, where the portfolio was, was quite broad. And within that portfolio, we had a number of products that were highly profitable for the business, but there were also a number of products that were very low on margin, uh, not quite single digit, but not far off it. And one of the, I guess, one of the priorities for me moving into that business was to understand how do we increase profit? Because at the time, it, the, the, the business was... Um, it was profitable, but it was you know low single digit profit, which was which was not sustainable. So we looked at a specific program to address the product and portfolio mix, and where we were putting resource and attention and investment versus where we should start to pull back, reduce the resource and support for customers and for that part of the portfolio, and really think about the impact we could make if we were. Know, disproportionately investing in the most profitable parts of the portfolio. But to get to the point where you can justify that as, a, as an approach, as a, as a program within the business, that takes quite a bit of one strategizing at the right level with the right insights. And, and the CFO is normally the person that can share those insights with you. But then also getting down into the detail, and this may be one of the CFO's team, that would help you remodel a PL based on a different perspective from the portfolio. And that's where you know, the CFO is such a critical role because not only can they help with the high level strategy, but normally they've got a team in place that has the resource to, to get you through to the detail that's needed so that you can model that PL and really see the impact in advance. And that's so important before you make those critical investment decisions. Yeah, I, I guess. What I'm hearing there about is overemphasize some areas and play down other areas. Now, that, yes. that feels like one of the subjects I teach in the classroom, which is zero-based budgeting. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I can really, really see how that fits in with what you're talking about, because the, the problem you've got is persuading people to step away from their pet projects, persuading yes. them not to do things that they've always done. And you really need a rigorous exercise. Um, my experience is if you don't take things out of people's budgets, they will still do them. Yes. Whether they tie into that strategic objective or not. Yes. And zero-based budgeting, the, the principles of it are easy. I think you're, you, when you teach it, you're fundamentally teaching change management. Mm. 
Yeah. I was just thinking exactly the same. <laughs> it then becomes a change management approach alongside the, the budget and the PL. Yeah, yeah. Just thinking though, Justin, and you mentioned the finance guy has often got a lot of things going on, a very broad remit. What sort of things do you generally find are getting in the way of of this profitable growth approach? You know, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, question, Kevin. What I've found with businesses I work with, what, one of the challenges is that I, I guess there is volume of work. So there's, there's just volume of programs, initiatives, um, mm. work generally that's going on. But I, whenever I go into an organization and start to consult and coach around their current challenges for growth, it's really interesting. We come, we'll come back to some of the, just some of the fundamentals. And I look at these uh, programs that are on with clients in three ways. So the first is just that the fundamental around the psychology of people in the organization. And it's always a, it's like a foundational platform for me. So I'll very often go into organizations and we'll start talking and they'll say, oh, no, we've tried that. Oh, no, that didn't, oh, no, no that's not possible. Oh, customers won't buy this. Or there, there are these limiting, restrictive beliefs mm-hmm. that people that hold in the organization. Yeah. And until you can break the psychology of that, you can break that down and understand, okay, I understand that you tried that. What didn't you try? What else could, have we, could we have tried? What else might be a factor here that could help us break through that previous limitation? And even one of the, one of the most incredible things that I find in organizations is, and, and you said it right at the start of this podcast, People will say, oh, you're going to teach us how to sell. Then we don't need to learn how to sell. Selling's, you know, selling's not what we do. Or there's huge resistance just to the word. And actually, once people understand what selling and driving profitable growth is really about, then just that change in perspective and the, and the psychology around selling can really help people unlock not only the growth opportunity, but the openness to drive those opportunities. So that tends to be the starting point for me. How do we reorientate people to the priority that is sales and growth and their perception and perspective of what is possible in the organization? Mm -hmm. And and once we've got that in place, so once the psychology is understood and we put in place uh, some principles around that, and I, I teach quite a bit around mindset and thinking about how do we move everybody in the organization towards a growth mindset. I was with a client team recently and it was, a, it was a fantastic leadership team, multidisciplinary leadership team. So we had engineering and technical. We had the, the MD of the company. We had the CFO in the room. We had the um, sales director. We had production. We had quality. So it was a really interesting dynamic mix of people in the room. And one of the things that happens in an organization is people – become so committed to their functional role and their departmental responsibilities, they stop thinking about how they contribute towards growth. And just having the conversation with somebody where, you know, it might be an engineering director, it might be a quality director, it might be the CFO, it might be whoever it is in the organization, to have that question asked, how does your role contribute towards the growth of the organization? Most people haven't even considered it. Mm, so yes. it, again, it becomes a psychology uh, principle. How do we help them move from where they are now to where they could be to support growth in the organization? And that is a, you know, it's a, it's a founding, founding principle and a starting point for me with most of my client work. 
And once that's in place, a so psychology first, ne the next step then are the skills that are required. So for sales organizations and business development organizations to help people first make the mindset shift and then second recognize what are the skills that they then need to develop to become more effective at selling. And for most people, it will be the cultivation of some of the fundamental selling skills, how to build relationships more effectively, how to listen and question more effectively, how to understand what my customer not only needs now, but needs in the future, so that I can then articulate a vision of us moving towards that goal together. So they choose us and become more loyal. They're all skills of selling. But you'll notice none of that is pitching or trying to get them to do something they don't want to do or make decisions that they don't want to make. It's all done in consultation with the customer so that we become their supplier or provider of choice. And that's what selling really is. And it, that, that in itself, thinking about the skills that the customer can develop, and then that loop links right back to the psychology because once people start to realize and recognize the skills support the customer, they start to get more comfortable with the selling approach and actually everything then starts to flow much better. Um, so in that, in that second part then, Justin, that, that sounds very much like the, the salesman, the account manager and so on playing that role. Where, where does the finance side of that sit in, in that piece? Are you expecting any support? Yeah, so I mean, I gave an example earlier of how, as a sales leader, you know, the CFO is really important with supporting strategy, some of the decision making, some of the financial models that might need to be deployed. But also, you know, some, um, in my experience, I've had collaborative meetings between, you know, a client's finance team when they're looking to get sign off for a quite, you know, big investment program, mm. and my own finance team to start to talk about different ways that perhaps they can budget for it. And so actually getting fi two finance teams together from, you know, from our supplier base into our customer or client base can be really valuable as well and very often overlooked as an opportunity to collaborate with customers and share best practice around making the key strategic investment decisions, especially if you're partnering with your clients and trying to create programs that are mutually beneficial. Mm. And that, that's interesting, Justin. One, one of the, the things that we've really discovered we need to play to in, in Grow CFO is that transition of somebody from head of finance, from the back office into yes. that CFO role. Yes. And you're mentioning there the partnering with the rest of the business, mm. the customer-facing skills, you know, lots and lots of things coming up that um, – you probably never had to know anything about to pass your exams and you probably never needed to know very much about as you were sitting behind a spreadsheet in the back office. <laughs> so um, I know you do a lot of leadership work. Do, do you find that that's typically something you've got to do a fair bit of work around? Yes, especially for people, people in roles where they've been outstanding individual contributors. You can have someone that is, whether it's in, in accountancy or finance or it's in sales or marketing or it's in engineering or technical, you'll have people that are absolutely outstanding at what they do. And because they're so good and committed, 
they will generally be the people that are then promoted into more senior positions. But the transition from individual contributor and being really good at what I do to moving towards being a leader in the organization and now delivering through a team is, is quite a big step to make. And I, I remember when I first made it, it uh, I made enough mistakes along the way to recognize that it's not an easy transition to make. But once you can change your perspective and, and develop the skills required for leadership, actually your impact can be significantly greater as you move into these more senior roles because you can direct and empower your teams to deliver at a higher level. You know, if you've got a large organizational team, actually getting you know, 5% extra out of a, of a large organizational team is much more than you could deliver on your own. But it does take a shift in mindset. It takes an improvement in skills. And then the third, you know, for me, the third layer in, in any organization is looking at the right systems and processes. So we get the psychology right first, we get the skills developed, for the teams and the people delivering. And then we look at the systems and processes. And when you think about it, if you get any one of those three out of step, it just doesn't work. You don't get the optimal performance you're looking for. Yeah. I certainly remember in my own case, um, his mindset was the biggest, biggest one of those. Um, I was moving from positions in consultancy assignments to, um, moving from doing it to managing it. Yeah. And I remember saying on one particular occasion to a project, project director, Alan, I've been absolutely run off my feet all day. I've been busy, but I haven't done anything. And it was that, that entire mindset that I'd been dealing with the rest of the team. I'd been making sure everybody else was getting on, sorting problems out, whatever. But physically myself hadn't produced a thing. And that really, really did take some some getting my head around. It does. T- it does take some. It takes some addressing, doesn't it? You have to. You have to get used to the idea that actually your contribution is other people's performance and contribution. And it, it, it's it's a little more ethereal than when you're working in a, an individual contributor role. It takes some adjustment, I would say, mm. and. You know, there's, there's lots of ways in which to do it, but developing leadership skills, leadership and management skills, I think the two are important, is, is really critical alongside, you know, the functional role or the functional skills that you need to be, you know, a CFO, for example. But actually leading organisational teams is really important. And I, I always remember the first time I was moving from and this happened to me a number of times in my career, but moving from an individual contributor to a leadership role where I was a sales manager, managing a team of direct reports at the salespeople. And then I remember the next role I had where I moved to a position where I was managing people who were managing people. And so the first step is one dynamic. And then the next step is yet another dynamic. And, and then I remember in my final role, you know, managing, I was a you know, third level manager. So I had managers who were managing managers who were managing teams and the skills that that requires and you know and the systems and processes that we have to put in place are completely different and so is the psychology so all of the time every time I've been through this it's only it's only the last few years when I've developed my own models and really 
thought about this uh, intensely, that I've recognized that there are these three key principles we have to keep coming back to. Um, and it's really important for clients to understand, actually, let's get the building blocks in place in the right, in the right order, get the psychology right first, then we can start to develop the right skills, and then we make sure that we've got the systems and processes. Um, and I'm a bit of a stuck record on this stuff, but it's so important. Yeah, 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 I can see that. And I think one, one of the challenges you get with the, the CFO in particular is that he's very well attuned into how the finance function works, yes. how all of that stuff in his side, the back office works, and stepping up from head of finance, say, to CFO, well, there's a little bit of challenge to, to make him keep his hands off what the head yes. of finance is doing. Yes. But at the same time, he's probably been given another back office team that reports into him. It's, I, th- I think the trend going forward is that uh, the IT department is increasingly reporting into the CFO. Yeah. CFO's the man in charge of all the data. So now suddenly he's got a different thing, that he's got to manage a, a whole team of folk, mm. which he doesn't have that in-depth knowledge at all and probably knows very little. Mm. Um so the, there are some very, very interesting things to get your mind around there. And certainly the skills to do it become completely different. Yes. And, and I, the other team I was thinking of, Kevin, and it may be inherent within the finance function, but it's procurement and purchasing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden you've got finance, you've got procurement, you've got IT. You've got, there, there are lots of different functions where you just cannot be the expert um, mm. and actually that isn't the, the role isn't to be the expert in the functions it's to be the expert in leading the teams yeah. to the highest levels of performance possible yeah and and interesting one of the one of the discoveries i made quite early in my career was uh, i was reading about leadership and i learned about emotionally emotionally intelligent leadership and in particular there is uh, I, I don't know if you've read much on it yourself kevin but daniel goldman and his team uh, the uh, so he has a research team and he's written a number of books on it. There's one book that's particularly useful. I, I must have read it four or five times in my leadership career, and it's called The New Leaders. So it's by Daniel Goleman. I think it's Richard Boyatis, but it's Daniel Goleman is the lead author with his research team. But they talk about the foundations of emotional intelligence and, the, and their application directly to leadership. And the book is really well written because it has a number of case studies of leaders that have you know, employed it particularly well, some who haven't. So it kind of tells you not only the success routes, but also the, you know, the, the potential pitfalls to avoid as well. Yeah. It goes on to talk about the six emotionally intelligent leadership styles. And one of, what, my favorite style, uh, as you would expect, is the coaching leadership style. And I find that actually there are six styles and and mastering all six is is quite tricky. But if you find two or three in that, you know, in the portfolio that are particularly useful for you, they can really help strengthen your leadership position. And, you know, for me, there are three that were my go-to. One was the visionary style. So as a new business leader in a large business, I can't get to the detail of everything and I can't really get the quality time with everyone in the organization. So my job there is to set a really compelling vision for that organization and help everybody to understand how they fit with it. 
So this is the direction we're going as, a, as an organization. This is the mission we're on. These are the purpose, you know, the purpose for our clients and for the wider audience for our organization. And here's how everybody can line up to it. So the visionary style first. And then second was the democratic style, which helps translate that vision down, down through the organization and almost brings it bottom up through the conversations and the ongoing discussions we have with the organization about how they fit into that visionary style. And through that democratic approach, you get insights from the organization about what will work, what won't work, what reservations they have, um, what priorities they see that may align or not with that vision. And that through that leadership style, it enables you then to understand the organization, almost have an organizational conversation and keep bringing that back to the visionary uh, part of your role as a leader. And then finally, the coaching leadership style. So that especially when you're in a leadership role managing other leaders, having coaching conversations with those leaders to help them become more and more clear and engaged about their role and their teams and how they fit with the strategic direction of the company. As a CFO, or you know, in my case, it was a you know, senior business leader, having that flexible leadership style and being able to know when the right occasion and situation called for the right style. Uh, now, I'm not, sure, I'm not saying I got it right every time, <laughs> far from it. But the more I did it, the more I, the more I you know, learned and was able to develop it. And that, that's a really, if, if anybody is thinking about, you know, that move from senior finance to leader to CFO, I, I would absolutely recommend working on leadership. Uh, and that book would be a good starting point. And maybe think about if they haven't got mentors that are in CFO roles, absolutely find, find a mentor. And I think, you know, through your Grow CFO network, it's a great opportunity to do that. But also think about, you know, coaching. How could they work on themselves, whether that's self-coaching or using a professional coach to help them really focus on prioritizing the development of leadership? Yeah, and it, it is a really, really big challenge. And we're, we're seeing two things really in Grow CFO, Justin. We're seeing number one is making that change, for, that move from head of finance to get that first CFO job is a, a huge challenge because... Yeah. Everybody says, I talk about this in last week's podcast with Andrew Waters. Yeah. Now, every CEO says, I need a CFO. I need an experienced CFO. So, head of finance that wants to become a CFO says, well, I know I can be a CFO, but if everybody wants an experienced one, how on earth do I get that first role? And I think we're, we are getting somewhere in Grow CFO with the, with the cohort program, looking at taking people through a 12-month journey and those leadership skills, I absolutely agree. They're, they're the vital ones in there. Yeah, um, absolutely, Kevin. And, you know, I would recommend three things. I would recommend um, working on leadership skills because your ability to lead an organisation, regardless of function, is critical. Hmm. I would say work on a really strong mentoring relationship with somebody that is already a CFO, preferably outside of your own organisation. And, and then I would say, get into the other functions of the business. 
spend some time with sales, with the sales leaders, spend some time with the marketing team, spend some time with the IT team, spend some, start to understand the different dynamics of the business outside of the pure finance function, because that's what a CFO will have to do in order to guide and be that um, director for the business and be the counsel for the CEO. Because that, a CFO, you're an advisor to the CEO and the rest of the board of directors. So if you, if you can get the experience and exposure of all of the different parts of a business sooner rather than later, when you step up into that CFO role, you're not then trying to figure it out when you're already in a new stretch and a new position. And as and when that CFO position comes available to be able to say, well, I've, you know, I've been working on my leadership skills. Here's what I've done. I've familiarized myself with all of the other parts of the business. Here are the different functions and here's what I know about them. And I've got my own CFO mentor. Well, if you put, if you're in a position and you're going for that role against another finance leader that hasn't done all of that, you will be, you know, by, by far and away the better candidate. Yeah. I, I think that mentor role is very important mm. once you've landed that first CFO job yes. as well, because when we've, we've talked about the mindset thing, yes. what better to be able to do than talk to somebody who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Yeah. I completely agree. Kevin. Those sage words, but I'd also say Justin that don't just restrict yourself to coaching from that more experienced CFO. I think coaching from the likes of yourself and your organization in those more general leadership skills and getting the perspective of what folk without a finance background expect of their leaders um, is very, very valuable. Uh, and, and of course, I would agree, Kevin. <laughs> of course you would. Of course you would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but that's a really valid point. Uh, and it link, I guess it links to my uh, comment about really understanding other parts of the business because it's, it's really easy to, and I remember this from my own career when I, was, I started out in sales and the, the, the intentional development areas that I worked on, you know, first was marketing because that was important for me to understand as a, I ended up as a business manager, sales and marketing are the kind of two primary areas, but then trying to understand, you know, what goes on from a technical and engineering perspective, what is happening from the finance function, what are the rhythms of review, what are the priorities, what are the key questions that are asked of senior finance people, um, then understanding, you know, supply chain, manufacturing, production, because if, if you don't understand it, or if you haven't at least experienced it, it can be really difficult to provide any sort of direction or, or even coaching, because you have to have the context. Yeah, it's really important. I think from a finance guy's point of view, certainly from my own point of view, I can kind of understand production, and because I, I was a business accountant in, in a manufacturing business in the chemical industry. You know, you could physically touch it and feel it and know what it was all about and know what went into the process, what came out at the end, where the costs were. Um, and I could understand sales. You know, we knew all about the sales account managers going off seeing clients. The bit as a finance guy that I could never quite understand was, so what do the marketing team actually do apart from sit around and drink coffee all day? <laughs> No, you've got I think from a finance point of view, getting your head around marketing is probably one of the biggest challenges. Yes. No, you've got it in one, Kevin. That's all I do. Yeah. 
Apologies to anyone in marketing. <laughs> I, I found out actually subsequently through running my own business for a number of years and uh, kicking off Grow CFO with Dan that actually there's a hell of a lot more to this marketing game than first yes. meets the eye. Yes, there really is. And, yeah. and it's interesting because I, I don't have a formal qualification in marketing, but I ended up, you know, the business manager's roles I, were, I was in were effectively large sales and marketing organizations. Mm. So, uh, I managed a number of large marketing teams, and and, they, and it's really interesting because as a salesperson, as, a, as an original salesperson, sales leader, all I could think of was, well, where are my leads? You know, mm. marketing are all about lead generation. That was kind of my single point of focus. But actually, building brand awareness, uh, strengthening the brand of the organisation and the product portfolio ensuring that there is a social presence for the organization, uh, making sure that customer journeys and customer needs are well understood and met through marketing messages. Uh, there's so much more to the marketing role than, than we would realize. And, and it's, a vital, you know, it's a vital component of the business mix, really vital. Yeah. So, Justin, just before we leave the conversation, I understand that you've been writing a book. Yes, I have, Kevin. I have. Oh, um, tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> that's the, he says as if he doesn't know about this and hasn't commented in Justin's LinkedIn posts already. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you, Kevin. Well, it's interesting. The book is called Inspire, Influence, Sell. And I've written it based on a, the work that I do with clients on helping their leaders and teams really tune in to how to sell more effectively. The subtitle of the book is mastering the psychology, skills, and systems of the world's best sales teams. So it really is laying out the foundations for successful selling and influencing in organizations and, of course, driving profitable revenue growth that we talked about earlier. Brilliant, brilliant. When's it published? It's due to come out in the middle of November. Excellent, excellent. So uh, I'd love to plug that in Grow CFO when it comes out. Oh, thank so you. Please make sure that we know when it's about to be published, because I'm sure that is going to be a great book. Yes, I will. Thank you very much, Kevin. And as always, I appreciate your support. Justin, that has been absolutely fascinating. If anybody wants to get to know a little bit more about what you do as an individual, how would they how would they contact you? So LinkedIn is probably the best way to get to me, I would say. And it's Justin Lee, uh, L-E-I-G-H. Um, feel free to connect with me. I'd love to hear from, from you guys and hear more about your businesses and what you're doing. You can visit my website, which is uh, Focus for Growth, which is the number four. So that will be www.focusforgrowth.co.uk. And there's an inquiry page on the website. So feel free to reach out to me if you'd like a conversation. And I'll very often, Kevin, have you know, short introductory conversations with people, just learn a bit more about their organization, share some insights that might be useful. And if it becomes you know, a collaborative program or a piece of work, great. But if not, it, more often than not, people will come away from those conversations thinking that was a really valuable investment of my time. So happy to, for people to reach out to me. Brilliant, Justin. Thank you. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes, along with the, the book that you mentioned earlier on leadership. Yes. Um, so if you want to know any more about Grow CFO, hop over to growcfo.net. You can join up into the free Grow CFO community and join in with 2,000 other CFOs or future CFOs and network, collaborate, and so on. 
Uh, there's an awful lot happens in that community and nearly everything in there is absolutely free of charge. So go and check those resources out. So once again, Justin, thank you for a super podcast today. My pleasure. Bye. My pleasure. Thank you, Kevin. Take care.